you know, one of the things is that time has a way of healing mistakes. And, you know, if I look back at this property, you know, it was very painful in the beginning, you know, with the delays, with the loss of money, the um, additional cost on the contract. But when I looked at that, I could have walked away from it. I could have uh, bailed. I could have done all these different things. But my experience has told me is that, hey, this property is is a good property. The foundations are set. Yes, it's going to cost me upfront and a little bit more time. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and you guys are in for a treat. We went down to Texas and found my man, Carrie Love, and he's going to share with you guys some amazing stories today. Carrie, how are things out in your neck of the woods? Awesome. Awesome. It's uh, fabulous. Things are always looking bright in Texas. I imagine it's pretty warm out there this time of year. Yes, actually, I would say right now it's been kind of cool. Usually it's uh, in July, it was in the hundreds, but so far uh, the last few days, it's been only in the 90s. So I'm enjoying it. (laughs) (laughs) Some people were like, what? (laughs) 90 degrees. So, you know, you keep a little pretty low profile, man. I've been running around this multifamily circuit for a while and happened to find you through Lawrence Laddie. And I mean, I've just been thoroughly impressed in all of our interactions and my whole thought process with bringing you on is I just want more people to know more about you and your story. So I'm so grateful that you carved some time out to hang out with me today. I know you do a lot of traveling and you spend your time just doing deals. And so to come do this is a a great treat for me. So if you would do me a favor and tell the listeners a little bit about you and your story before we dive into these missteps, I'd appreciate it. Sure, sure. So I've been an investor since 1991, part-time. I have properties that are in the, all of my properties are in Texas. So that is in uh, the Houston area, the DFW area, and then in West Texas, the Midland Odessa area. So I was doing it part-time for a number of years. And then my goal was to retire, have the option to retire at when I was 45. And um, I was fortunate to be able to retire at 44. So I, I, I met my goal and I was able to retire. Um, I worked in the corporate world for about 25 years. So, uh, is that right? Yeah, some, 24 years, about 24 years. And uh, I didn't miss some of it, but I just was able to, to focus on real estate after that. Wow. So, people are listening, like, retire at 44. What in the world did he do in order to do that? So, it's safe to say you've built a pretty decent real estate portfolio because uh, you weren't a school teacher retiring at 44. So, let's talk a little bit about. The deals. I mean, I, you said, I think three or four different cities where you have property. So is it safe to say that every deal went exactly as you planned for it to go? No, not at all. There was some really fantastic deals that took place. And then there were some, uh, some deals that uh, just didn't work out quite like I planned. But what I would tell you, and this is, no, I'll, I'm going to say the same, same thing at the end of this, but I would say is that time has a way of fixing a lot of stuff. And so what happens is that um, the all that didn't look good, all that good at one point, all of a sudden looks a lot better uh, as time goes by. 
So uh, those some of those deals that didn't work out quite the way I wanted them to work out, they did work out uh, financially long term. So, Carrie, you said, you know, three or four different cities where you own property. So uh, safe to say you've done a fair number of deals. Did all of them go as you planned? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not a, exactly. No, we had some challenges with some of them. Some of them went fantastic and some of them uh, had some awards on them uh, as we progressed. Okay. So, you know, this is multifamily stuff. So I bring in operators from all around the country to come in and, and tell us some of the biggest lessons they've learned on their multifamily investment journey. I like to call them war stories. Usually I, I would see this happening at a conference where people are sitting around a fireplace with an adult beverage and talking about the stuff that they made their, made their way through. Do you have any good stories that you could share with me and the listeners today? Well, I have several stories, but I'll only share one with you today. And then maybe when over an adult beverage someplace, we'll, we'll, I'll share some other, uh, some stories. But, uh, this is a, a multifamily deal. It was in, uh, West Texas. And this was a property that I had looked at a, a couple of different times. It was a 10 unit property. And when I looked at it to purchase it, it was only about, uh, 40% occupied. So there was only four units that were occupied at the time. So I got a pretty good price on the, on it, but it needed some work. And, um, I contacted two contractors to give me some bids on it. And one of the things that I do like, I like to work with young contractors that uh, are looking for a break. So I managed uh, and owned another property. It was a, a large apartment complex and I'd had numerous contractors over there. So I asked two of these contractors that had been doing me, doing some work for me over at the apartment complex and asked them if they would uh, give me a bid on some work. So the bids, both bids came in around the same price. It was about uh, $25,000 interior work and about $25,000 exterior work. And I gave it to the, to, to one of the gentlemen and I had my assistant kind of manage him and we had a draws, we had a contract set up and I thought everything would go very smoothly and it didn't go smooth. To make a long story uh, short, what really took place is uh, he did some good work on the inside and he started to um, get some work done. And then he kept asking for some additional draws. My assistant went and she would take pictures of it. And so it looked like everything was working out smoothly. Uh, then all of a sudden we had came to a point where she had given him more money than what she was allowed it to. And it, we were determined, he, we determined that he was an alcoholic. And he had started giving us some fake invoices. My assistant was had missed it, and she wrote him a, a larger check than anticipated. So uh, she ended up giving him a, I believe it was like $15,000 draw uh, when it was only supposed to be $2,500. And we didn't see him for about uh, three weeks. He took the money and went off down to Mexico and drank, had a great time and all that kind of stuff, and uh, came back and said he would finish the work. But he needed more money to finish the work because he didn't have any money. So that was a horror story. <laughs> and I still needed the other work done. So it was very painful because my assistant made a mistake. But ultimately, it was my mistake. I should have been much closer to that property. I should have been much closer to uh, the contract and walking around the property on a consistent basis. And I didn't do that because I thought I could trust the contractor because he had done plenty of work for me before. And I didn't know that my assistant would make a mistake like that. So uh, that's what took place. That was the wow. Worst. So you you say they done work for you before. You had multiple projects going on, and they came in, did it, 
performed, you were pleased. And because of the predictability or what you thought the predictability of the relationship was, you relax some of the safeguards that you had in place or you would have had in place if it happened to be a new person. That's correct. We probably have, uh, I probably worked with this, this contractor for about 18 months. We'd had a couple of fires and some um, other weather damage at the uh, apartment complex. And we would give him a, a specific job. Uh, he would complete that job. I would pay him and the work was done. It was, it was fine. And we had no issues. Everything that he told me that he would do and his crew, they came and they executed hundred percent. Fantastic. The difference was, is that all these jobs that were in the past, they could be done in a week, you know? So I may have purchased the supplies and materials and put them on site for him. And then his, him and his crew would come and, and take care of it. And at the end of the week, I can go by and take a look at it. Yep, it looks good. And I would pay him. This was the first time that it was a longer job. It was a larger job. But everything else, he had worked, handled himself very, very professionally. And I didn't think there would be any issues uh, with it. So, yeah, I I remember when I first got into general contracting and the whole concept of a guy in his truck usually meant lower prices. But most of those guys weren't great business owners. Right. So. They didn't understand cash flow management. They were usually deposit to deposit, right? They Mm -hmm. needed some money to get the job started. And then they needed that draw two weeks in so that they could pay the guys. And they come in and they they give you the sob story and they tell you all the stuff. And you're like, but we're doing stuff based on progress. And so then when you get to the end of the budget, the question really becomes, do I continue to pay the person that's been here or do I bring somebody new in and potentially tell me, well, everybody that I ever brought in new, hey, this guy didn't know what he's doing. We got to start over. Like that <laughs> happened every single time when I replaced the contractor. That happened a little bit. Uh, so the other contractor I'd done business with before. So I had learned a long time ago is the contractors, they come and go. You know, they'll do a great, fantastic job for you for a while. And then when they think they have 100% of your business. I agree with you. Contractors come and go. And this has always been my fear in multifamily. When you're doing a deal, if you don't have a proven team, right? If you think you're just going to go out and grab a contractor off the street to do the turns on your property that's got bridge financing on it, I think you're setting yourself up for failure. Just because you don't know if that company is going to perform at the level that you need them to perform. Most contractors will tell you they can do everything and most of them cannot, right? But they're looking just to keep other people off the premise and take as much money as they can from the client that they're engaged with. So I think the point that you bring up is is a really important one um, because you know even if you do have that partnership set up, there is potential for that person to vanish or the quality of their work to diminish if you're dealing with a smaller company. And I don't know if you have some more points to go with that, but that's just been my experience. A lot of people want to be profitable multifamily operators, but lack the knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital to be successful. They often try to overcome these challenges out of order, slowing or eliminating their ability to get their next deal done. We've developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals. When they do, they create the time and location freedom, as well as the generational wealth they desire for their family. The Myers methods of multifamily investing have proved to be the fastest way to establish credibility and properly grow an apartment portfolio. 
If you want to know more about our four-step process, jump over to MyUseMethods.com to get our free four-step guide to getting into multifamily investing. Let's get back to the episode. You're, you're right. And then, uh, you know, during this period of time, it was a boom in Midland, uh, Texas, where you have the oil and the gas. And so finding contractors on a consistent basis was, was uh, somewhat challenging. The larger contracts were doing the oil work. So you had to work with the, what, what you had to, to keep moving forward. And I didn't need references because I, this guy had been working for me for 18 months. He had been doing jobs. And when I looked how, how much I had paid him over the last 18 months, it was, you know, it was somewhere around 60, 70, $5,000, if I recall. It was a, a large sum. So he had been doing consistent work and, and he had been doing a very, very good job. The challenge was the parameters were very different on this job than it was for any of the other jobs. And I should have recognized that. Well, and we think they have capacity and it's easier, right? It's so much easier just to work with the person you've been working with, even if the job changes because, hey, I can count on my call. I'm going to get them on the line tell them what's wrong because there's always something that's an issue. So you got You've already worked through that. You've established you can get through that on the smaller jobs, but everybody's got that ceiling and you don't ever really want a, the contractor to find their ceiling on your project. <laughs> no, no. So the other contractor that gave me a bid, I'd worked with him probably for about the same period of time. And he typically did larger jobs for me. You know, in hindsight, I probably should have utilized him, but he was probably a month out before he could start. And so that's why I didn't utilize him because he was a month out. And I, I tried to, to work with minority type contractors to give them an opportunity and give back and, and give them a, a, a place that they can you know establish so they can look at it and say, hey, I've done this type of a, a, a job or a type of work. You know, I, I'll give you an example. I had a, a roof to have to replace roof after hail damage and uh, on 202 unit complex. And to replace those roof, I want to say it was somewhere around $200,000. And of course, we got guys that came down from Abilene and all these other places that were large companies and, you know, they wanted the job. And I ended up giving it to a, a smaller company, a roof company. He said that he did not feel comfortable in going after large jobs because he did not know how to work with uh, a corporation or work with someone. They were a little bit intimidated. And I told him I would work with him. But he, I asked him if he had the capacity. He said, no. He was honest. He said, no. I said, well, what's your game plan? I'm going to hire these three different companies that are as large as me, and I'm going to split the job with them. And I said, but you'll have 100% responsibility for it. He said, yes. And he took care of me, and he gave me a 10-year warranty on that. And it worked out fantastic. Now, the guys in Abilene were really <laughs> upset because I didn't give them the job, but that's what I ended up doing. And so since then, his business, that roofing business, because I gave him that job, his roofing business grew substantially. And he comes back to me every so often and says, hey, Kerry, how you doing? You got any jobs for me because you really helped me. <laughs> So, so uh, he does. He, he'll, he'll take care of me if I need him to look at something. And I, I think this is the beauty of being a business owner, right? When, we, when we're running and owning these apartment buildings, we get to put food on the table for a lot of people by having them come in and solve our problems. And you can give somebody who maybe wouldn't normally get a shot an opportunity as long as you got the right parameters around so that they can be successful and you don't lose money in taking that chance or that risk by you know, bringing somebody in who doesn't have a long, deep resume. Um, that for me is, is really exciting. And so, you know, how did you fix the contractor issue, right? The guy needed more money. He was 
at the end of the budget? How'd you guys resolve it? Um, I, I asked him how we're going to resolve it. So he had a truck. I uh, put a lien on his truck uh, so that he could be sure that he was going to try to come up with some dollars. Uh, he came back to me and he said, there's just no way I'm going to be able to make this work. So I kept the lien on the truck and then I went to the other contractor. So it ended up costing me the $50,000 job. It ended up costing me a, 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 probably an additional $30,000 um, and probably another six weeks to uh, complete. So, you know, that's what took place. Now, the interesting story is that the, the second contractor that I uh, that finished the job, he actually now is, is one of my employees. So, so, so uh, he was a, a, a remodeler. He had a construction company and um, he came to me because he knew I was going to be building some properties or some houses, duplexes. And uh, he asked me if he could come and work for me and let me let him do that. So I did. And financially, it's been rewarding for him. Financially, it's been rewarding for me. So he's now an employee and he handles a lot of my remodeling. And I have a, a general contractor as an employee that helps me tremendously. Now, he only works in West Texas. He wants to come to some of these other areas as well. <laughs> but so far, I got a lot of work for him down there. That's outstanding. I, I love when stories work out, even though there's a little bit of frustration and pain on the end. But him showing up and helping you get through that pinch created a tremendous amount of trust in that relationship, which allowed you guys to elevate and go to that next level, right? You know, and I, I was alluding to this before we uh, were talking, but you know, one of the things is that time has a way of healing mistakes. And you know, if I look back at this property, you know, it was very painful in the beginning. You know, with the delays, with the loss of money, the um, additional cost on the contract. But when I looked at that, I could have walked away from it. I could have uh, bailed. I could have done all these different things. But my experience has told me is that, hey, this property is is a good property. The foundations are set. Yes, it's going to cost me upfront and a little bit more time. But now I look at that property. You know, when I bought the property, I think that the rents were like four hundred and fifty to five fifty. You know, now they are a thousand dollars per unit. We are hundred percent occupied. So it's been worked out very well. The uh, value and the equity on that property has, has, has done very well for us. So time has a way of making it look good. Like I was uh, the smartest thing since sliced bread and buying the property, you know, so nobody knows all the warts that went behind it. When they look at it on my portfolio sheet or my real estate owned sheet, it's just an asset. Well, I know the rest of the history on that property. I know what I bought it for. I know what a pain, the story that along went along with it, you know, the mistakes that went by. But right now, you know, I look at that and say, man, that's one of my success stories right there. <laughs> the balance sheet does not tell a story. <laughs> no, it does not. You know, when you look at it back a little later, it looks at it and says, wow, you know, you know, this is not a multifamily story, but I'll, you know, I'll say, if, you know, one of my single families was, was like that, you know, I, I bought that property and the estimate that I got to fix the uh, foundation was like, you know, $4,000. And, uh, you know, as they started getting into it, all of a sudden it went from $4,000 to $24,000. You know, I went from, you know, doing very well on the property to, you know, was going to break even. And, you know, you know, such as, why don't you just sell it? I said, well, no, I don't believe in selling too many properties. So I'm just going to hold it. And sure enough, I held it and, you know, like five years later, again, it was one of those things. Times has a way of healing. You know, I'm looking at it like, man, this is throwing off a ton of cash, a ton of cash. 
So after uh, the value went up substantially, I had finished the rehab. I, I think I held that property for five years. I didn't sell it. I did a well, I, I did a ten thirty one exchange and moved it into a no, another property. And but that was a, a wart. You know, it was a wart. It was an ugly story. It turned out I was thinking I was going to make you know three hundred dollars positive cash flow on a monthly basis to you know breaking even. <laughs> That's what it what it, what, it, what it turned out. But that break even that was a, from a cash flow standpoint. Everything else behind the scenes looked great. You know, I still was had some paper losses that I was able to take take advantage of. I was I had some other write offs I could do, and then as the the tenants paid off the uh, balance, it looked it looked great. You know, so time has a way of of making that work look a lot better. You know, so I could have sold it immediately and probably take a couple of thousand dollars loss. I would have taken a loss on it and cut my losses, but I just kept hung in there. And guess what? It worked out. Outstanding. So. For the listeners out there, they're like, man, I don't think I want to do any construction projects. What do you tell them <laughs> on their contractor? And what do you tell them on what, what was the process change that you made to make sure that you don't get burned by your GC again? Well, a couple of things that I ended up doing and alluded to some of them before. Number one is that um, I don't care how familiar I, I am with a contractor. I still go out and I get several different bids and I get references that, that has been about to ask them, have they done a job that's like this? Send me pictures, send me the owner's name and I'll, I'll, I'll contact them to see how, how it went. Uh, what were the uh, hiccups and things of that nature? And then I have a uh, pretty decent contract that uh, has specifications, performance specifications on how we're going to do the draws so I, we don't get caught like that anymore. And so I have to approve all checks that are over a certain dollar amount so there's not going to be any mistakes that are like that again. So we put some uh, things that are in place that should prevent those types of things. But you're not going to prevent everything. You know, There's just going to be some things that are going to come up. No matter what, there's things that are going to happen and it's just how you deal with it. And it's not the, you know, the ceiling's not, uh, the sky's not falling. It's not going to kill you. You're going to wake up. The sun is going to be, come out tomorrow. (laughs) It's going to rotate. You know, the earth is going to rotate. You're going to continue to breathe. Everything's going to work out. And in time, this will heal itself. It'll it'll, it'll move on. What I would tell you is if you're going to be in this business, you're going to, bad things are going to happen and you're just going to find creative ways of overcoming them. That's it. Creativity solves problems. I love it, man. So, you know, I always wrap up these episodes with the final question, and you're probably going to say, I already told you, Jerome, but I'm going (laughs) to ask you anyway. What words of wisdom do you have for the listeners? Time has a way of healing all things. If you make a mistake, because you will make a mistake, you can look at your financial information and look at it and say, hey, in three years, what does this look like? Even with this mistake, what does it look like? And what does it look like in five years? For me, I'm really a buy and hold person. No, not everybody looks at it that way, but I'm really a buy and hold person. Once I get my money out of it, it's an infinity return. You know, so I'm looking for the cash flow. And so long term, it makes sense. You know, even an ugly mistakes, the two ugly mistakes that I told you, they turn out to be fantastic deals. So time has a way of healing all things. And then you brought up something, which is creativity also solves problems. <laughs> I'm sure the listeners are like, how can I get in touch with Carrie? <laughs> you can What's find the best me on way? LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn at Carrie Love. Yep. That's probably the easiest way. But I like to reach out. I think I, sh- I shared with you before that I, I love helping people acquire their first property, whether it's uh, their property that they, um, that they uh, live in or their first investment property. And that's my personal thing that I like to help them with. So I helped, I think last year, I think I helped five people and my target is to help 
five people this year, and I've already helped three. So I'm, I'm ahead of the game slightly. So I'm hoping that I've uh, got a few th- irons in the fire. So hopefully uh, those things uh, will happen for those individuals this this year as well. You guys heard it. Y'all better call Carrie. He's helping people get in deals. <laughs> Carrie, thank you so much for jumping on with me and sharing sure. these amazing learnings. I think everybody's better for it. I know I am. And to the listeners, the pack's with you. We'll talk soon. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.